Hold on, before I lose you, I'm at one percent, hundred percent. All the time. I this think. is like every time I'm on a call with you, you're all, oh shoot, this is how electricity works. You have to plug your computer in. Electricity is always going to work that way. Just in case you were wondering. It's witchcraft. Um. <laughs> Welcome to the inaugural episode of Dive In Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I'm Delma Jackson. And I'm Shandine Garcia. And today we'll be confessing our sins, exploring the past, present, and future, because time is boundless, and explaining why we decided you needed one more podcast to listen to. You don't want to miss this. friend what are we going to put into the stream space today so i'm gonna riff off of the notion of being our best selves and try to tie it into the notion of erasure and just say that i think what feels really important right now is dreaming into the idea that in such a divided country and i'm divided against folks who i perceive as a real threat to my life and the lives of others what does it mean to be at my best self what does it mean to show up with love and compassion and an ear even for my enemies as they would wax in the bible or as they would wax in the civil rights movement is that who i am is that what i want and if so do i have the tools to do it and do i want to continue to live with folks that i perceive as a real threat on my life and if i'm gonna live here and share a country space with them Um, what can I dream into to make that possible? I don't have answers, just questions. Yeah, it makes me think about two things. One, which you and I talk about all the time, it's this concept of um, the inclusivity around countries, as in there are over 500 indigenous nations in in the United States alone. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about the divisions also inside those nations Mm -hmm. inside the United States as a nation. Mm -hmm. So that I don't have an answer to have a question, but I feel like there are two types of invitations to be our highest self and the highest self, lowest self conversation. And I always think about, you know, our amazing first lady who will be first lady forever. uh, Michelle Obama, when she talks about, you know, the go high, go low, conversation. But I think about, I like, I accept that challenge to try to be a better human. It's when I'm asked to be my higher self in the face of brutal racism and, um, all forms of oppression and erasure. That shit pisses me off. Like I get that I'm trying to be a better person and we should all grow and, uh, but when I got to, you know, go into your biblical language, when I got to turn the other cheek or when I have to be, when we were talked about this before, when you're facilitating and you're holding space for people in whiteness, why do I have to be my highest self? And shit, isn't me like responding in the way my body feels like it wants to response an actual highest self anyway? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. I don't have the answer either. I clearly just have anger. <laughs> 
uh-huh. some undealt with grief. Oh, Scheiße. Yeah. No answers yet, but I think the... Hang on, hang on. Did you just swear in another language? I did. All right. In German of all languages. I was going to say... <laughs> Deutschland. Um, so at the end of the day, that's what we're here to do is to kind of sort through and bring people on to sort through with us some of these bigger questions about solidarity, community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> but before we dive into any of that, I wanted to draw our attention to that current moment that you just named, right? This, this context that we're in post-election. Um, there's been no shortage of think pieces around what's going on right now, what we're seeing. And I think the thing I'm always drawn to, and I think you and I both named is something we're deeply interested in is the ways in which history informs the present, informs the future, is circular in nature. And for me, it's, I'm reminded of uh, the years 1860 and 1968. And there's been no shortage of folks writing about this, but really briefly, like 1860, we're leading up to a civil war, right? Uh, the South has not seceded yet, but the, the conversation is definitely in the air. Um, Stephen Douglas is a Northern Democrat who's anti-slavery, who's running um, for president at this time. John Breckinridge, pro-slavery, Southern Democrat, John Bell, doesn't want to do anything with slavery. So the states that already have it, leave it alone. He's a third party candidate running with the Constitutional Union Party. And then finally, Abe Lincoln, he's against slavery's expansion, right? Representing the GOP. Um, And these are the candidates we have. Lincoln obviously ends up winning and for practical reasons, decides to Write up the Emancipation Proclamation. The South succeeds. You end up with 620,000 folks who are caught up in this war effort um, that are killed. And you brought up something that I had missed up until like yesterday, the day before yesterday, which was the this massacre on December 26, 1862. So a couple years after Lincoln, year, year and a half after Lincoln is in office, what happens? You asking me? I'm waiting to see if you actually know your history now since you've had 24 hours to learn it. You know what? Um, I'm a work in progress. I know that <laughs> a lot of folks were hung. A lot of folks who, who the U.S. Army had been in continuous war with. But that war goes back way further than this time period, right? This moment. But as a part of what appears to be somewhat of a weird kind of, again, Lincoln being Lincoln, right? This practical mass murder, right? This practical compromise of sorts of mass murder, which is such a strange phrase. Um, I remember hearing the phrase for the first time. He was responsible for the largest mass public hanging that we've ever seen. And all of those words together, I mean, I guess... If, if, if Lincoln is practical, well, you need a proclamation. So we did it. Needed to massacre a bunch of Indians to steal their land. Did it. And then, you know, 620,000 killed. Did it. Can't say he didn't accomplish it. 
he was checking off the boxes like nobody's business, um, to be sure. But the key in that, um, which I appreciate, because every time I, I'm on calls with you, I learned something new. Every time you're on calls with me, you learn something new. But what we never get the chance to talk about and explore, which we're hoping to explore here, is the purposeful nature that you and I don't have this information to begin with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The intentional nature that I don't yeah. know half the shit that you know about black history. Mm-hmm. Or quite frankly, black present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and same. Right. Even the the language that I have been equipped with to talk about indigenous folks, nations, as opposed to uh, tribes, which is the word I always came up with. Right. And so I think early on in one of our conversations, I was using the term tribe and you're like, hold on. what?" (laughs) You know, so it's like all of these what feel like such baby steps for me. Right. And it's a very humbling experience. Because I want to see myself as being so evolved and so well equipped to hold these conversations. Um, but shit, I can't even pronounce your name right. So, you know, <laughs> I got work to do, right? I got, I got work to do, um, clearly. Um, well, I'll just say, like, we'll make sure that in the show notes, we link folks to some more information about some of this so they can look into it. Um, yeah, so I appreciate you bringing that up again today because like I said I just read about it within the last 24 or 48 hours no idea well bring us into you opened us with 1860 bring us into 1968 yeah so again race is on the ballot uh Nixon is on the ballot for the GOP running what we call now the southern strategy um I'm going to pull southern democrats away from the democratic party and toward me by speaking the language of anti-integration Right. Um, Hubert Humphrey is who the Democrats decide to run, who's kind of an establishment candidate, um, similar to Joe Biden today. Right. It's kind of right up the middle, not too radical one way or the other. Um, but the Southern Dems are not happy with Hubert Humphrey at all. He's not radical enough for them. He's not segregationist enough. So you end up with George Wallace, who becomes a third party candidate. You know, the guy famous for segregation today, tomorrow, segregation forever. Um, He ends up carrying five states, 13 percent of the the vote that year, which was almost enough um, to send the final election resulting to the House of Representatives. They would have had to decide the election had he gotten just a few more votes. Um, And I just thought about it now, but we see that same kind of tactic Again, when I was a kid with uh, David Duke coming out of the South and really drawing a lot of folks in. So when we act surprised that Trump is so popular with his brand of racial segregation and speech, um, I think people aren't paying much attention to, to history and the history of U.S. presidential politics. You know, you and I went over this before we recorded and I forgot this. Until just now. I don't know if do you know the history of who wrote George Wallace's speech? I don't. So the way I found out is there were so few books for um, Native American kids to read. And one of the ones they gave to us was in school was called The Education of Little Tree. And that author is, I think the last name is Carter. Um, he was a KKK leader who was a segregationist speechwriter who co-wrote 
with George Wallace, that's the famous segregation speech. And he claimed that he was Cherokee under an alias Forrest Carter. Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about now? So NPR did a piece on this years ago. And um, that's the only reason I know anything about, like my memory is starting to kick in, but I don't remember all the deets. But yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Well, one, it's because you're old. So let's just, you know, in general, like your memory. Two, I remember learning that and thinking, what does that mean? I was little. I remember thinking, I don't understand how a Native American person could also believe segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, whatever the line is. And and talking to my father about it, and again, him telling me the thing that I told you earlier, which is he was like, one in 10 people are, you know, good people. One in 10 people are readers. One in 10 people are good workers. One in, he had this statistic that he would, I think, try to console me with if I was frustrated about something. But it, it's sort of at the heart of what we want to talk about. <sighs> Lord. Um, this... Standing in and repre- I'm going to represent you. I'm going to tell your story for you. The audacity. <laughs> the, the audacity of that. You know. But I mean, this is, these are the same folks who bring us John Wayne. Rambo. Right? Also, when I was a kid, the audacity of thinking that like, all, all Native Americans were one thing. So here, read this book by this Cherokee author. Right, as saying this to this little brown girl in New Mexico. All right, and me eating it up. Yeah. And just, okay. Yeah. Because we didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm reminded of that, that piece about the, the single story, the danger of the single story. Right, that comes up. Chimamanda Adichie. God, right. I love her. Thank you for giving Diving Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you could do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. If you won't do it for Shandine, consider Delma, even though he's kind of an ass. positions as well to talk about why we wanted to create this show in the first place and what it was that we hoped to accomplish given that there are a million podcasts out here now right why throw our hat in amongst all of the noise right now what is it that we hope to to offer yeah, to be fair, that was my initial response when you were saying, hey, let's do this pod together. And it was very much a, there's so many amazing ones out there. Like, there's mm-hmm. so, like, I can't even, I don't even have time to listen to all of them that are out there. And why, what contribution is it going to make in a field that has all of this out there? But it was like I was, I had to think it through. I mean, I was reminded way back when I was in graduate school, I was kicking around, I wanted to talk about culturally relevant curriculum. But I 
was studying it. So I'd read a gazillion articles about it and I'd studied all the scholars who I admired about it. And I told my dissertation advisor, why the heck would I do that? Like, the, like there's already, the field is saturated with scholars who know this and do this. And, and if I want to be honest, you know, Carter Woodson was writing about it in the twenties. <laughs> so it's not this new concept and, and other people have been talking about it forever. So it's not, why would I do that? And she said to me, really? You see culturally relevant curriculum in every K-12 classroom? Really? You walk into teachers all the time who teach it, know it, and understand it? It's really saturated the field? Really? And, you know, oh, no, you're right. And it was in, the invitation was until it's saturated, until people know it, it's all value add. Anything that's generative and pushes us to think more deeply about, in this context, indigenous, black solidarity and futurism, <laughs> And ancestral wisdom uh -huh. and the intersection therein is all value add. We need the show until that idea is, like you say, operationalized. We need the show uh -huh. until everyone can has language to talk about it and to enter in spaces where you can say, oh, shit, I'd never thought about the concept of nations. I just thought tribes I forgot like, or I didn't know or and can talk openly and freely and learn and not be in a space where it's shame and proving and you know, whatever, where ego is ever present, but we're just actually in right relationship with one another. And it, that's why we need this show. We're not there yet. Not at all. And uh, to pick up on that thread, I mean, when we think about futurism, which is something I'm always interested in, both as like a, just a pop culture thing, right? Like science fiction and, and all of that. Um, one of the pieces I wrote recently was part of the title is Afro-Indigenous Futurism, right? What does it mean to merge two ancient wisdoms and use those as platforms to envision something futuristic together um, that combines the best of, of both? That's something I'm deeply interested in. I'm also interested in how we get there and trying to be as pragmatic as possible while still being... Um, unencumbered by realism, right? Like I want to be ground. I want to have one foot in reality while I have another foot in imagination and in dreaming and in creativity. And that's not always an easy dance, um, but it's one that I'm interested in doing. And so for me, part of this show is walking that line, right? How do we keep grounding in now, but still looking forward? And naming the things we're afraid to name. Yeah. You, we talked about this a long time ago, like just being brutally honest, just saying it. And if the it is, I don't fucking know. Or mm -hmm. if the it is, let's actually get into thing that pe the, the things that we're afraid to say, quite frankly, I don't know if afraid is the right word. I don't have the right word for it, but that I don't want to say out loud in front of white people mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I know they're going to take it and, sh and change the narrative and not actually understand the nuances and subtleties of, of what we're trying to say. This has to be a space where we can just fucking say it. Yeah. And there's another audience I think I'm concerned about, too, which is the audience that I consider to be my own and the things that I don't always feel comfortable saying in front of my own folks. Right. Um, because so much of what we get into is a woke off. <laughs> Every conversation becomes uh, a woke off. And if you get it wrong, if you say it wrong. If you tweet it wrong, post it wrong, we can come after each other in a way that will shut you all the way. Like, you can't go anywhere anymore. 
Right. Pair the woke off with oppression Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and the, uh, like, and all we're doing is just damaging the hell out of one another. But I yeah. think that, or, and I think not, but, and what you're saying about audience is for real. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm terrified if my aunt Ruth listens to this terrified. Mm-hmm. She was my biggest champion as I navigated through all of these white school structures. She would have done anything for me, and she would right now. And yet I think she would be devastated about things that we're going to say, that we want to say. I, I Terrified. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things I've thought about recently is how there's this idea that they are better organized whoever they is right they're they're better right. organized but i do think politically speaking at least um you can make a decent argument that the right just better understands certain things than the left and i think part of that understanding is you know whether it's blatantly stated whether it's obvious or not Capitalism is an organizing principle among the right. How do we increase wealth, our access to wealth for those who already have it? How do we maintain power? How do we maintain patriarchy? How do we maintain the norms and values, whether they're truly informed by religious text or not? It works for us, right? Um, So the heteronormative, white, patriarchal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? How do we maintain that? And at the end of the day, all our differences can come and go. But if we're about getting this money and keeping our influence, that's what's going to keep bringing us back to the table. And so that allows them, I think, to drive certain agendas forward, to have long vision and to stick with that. Like the way they've populated the Supreme Court didn't happen overnight. That's a process they've been working on for the last 25, 30 years, at least. Right. Slowly crafting legislation, um, slowly crafting individuals, right, who could eventually be placed onto the Supreme Court so that their norms and values, although unpopular, can still remain uh, the law of the land. What's the equivalent on the left? We, we like, we hurting, but we're powerful, and we know it, and we come together and try to get stuff accomplished, but the minute I say the wrong thing, Attacked. You don't want to work with me no more. <laughs> and you're going to make sure I can't work with you're nobody out. else either. You're out. You're out. Exactly. How can you organize around that for the long term? How can you really build community with that for the long term? You can't. Fractured, splintered, arguing, and the right waits for it. Yeah, they love it. And plants it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's getting to the point now where... Every time the right has a rally like they did yesterday in D.C. And I started seeing reports late in the evening about how there was a counter protest and it got violent. And as soon as I see the word anarchist, I roll my eyes now. When I was in right. my 20s, I'd have been like, hell yeah, that's what's up. Nowadays, I'm like, man, would y'all go somewhere? Take all that white privilege and put it to something else. Yep. But y'all supposed to be my brothers and sisters on the left, so to speak. And I'm getting to the point now at age 41, I can't stand y'all. And I hate to say it, but that's how I feel, you know? And so, I, I, yeah. The, the hate to say it, the hate to say it, like, I actually don't hate to say it. I hate to fucking deal with the reaction once it's said. Mm. 
Fair enough. Right? Fair enough. Like, oh, well, then what do you want us to do? So you don't want us out there? Like, then, But then how should we help and be supportive and in solid? Shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Have several seats. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's, and I want certain things, <laughs> like I want a certain type of community, right? And I want certain values to be expressed and to be, um, woven into the fabric of the community. Um, but I don't always personally want to live up to those very values myself, honestly. Like sometimes I don't feel like being bothered with none of y'all. I just want my Xbox. Leave me alone. <laughs> I want my cigarettes and I want my liquor and I want my red meat. Exactly. And if somebody else says something to me about yoga, I promise I will burn this yurt to the ground. <laughs> I want a Netflix binge, smoke cigarettes, and drink my vodka soda. I think part of what um, you and I are both hoping to do is to pick up on these names, to bring in folk to talk with us that have been thinking and dreaming and living um, a lot of these big picture questions uh, all their life um, and hoping to glean off some, some wisdom uh, from some of them as well. But... Yeah, I want to dream. I want to use this as a dreaming space. Um, and like I said, I want to keep one foot in reality. So that means talking bad about us sometimes. Right? Including myself. And especially you. <laughs> that's a given. That's a given. That, that's where I'm most I'm comfortable. I'm when in. I rank I'm the things I'm good at and feel good about talking bad about. Yeah, you're yeah, right. That's why you <laughs> opened mispronouncing my name. For real. I mean... I wish I could say it was planned. You know, <laughs> oh, I, I know do. it isn't. I, I do. Because I get it right sometimes and then other times I get it wrong as though I just met you. And it's been, what, a year and a half-ish since I met you? Feels, oh. I'm going to say, like, didn't I? Hasn't had a big impression on me, so. So it's really hard to, to maybe name. Maybe a couple months. A couple months we've known each other. I'm about to hang up on you. <laughs> That's how that this episode is going to end. We're just like click um, <laughs> out. I'm with you. I'm with you. I want guests who are going to help us think bigger, dream deeper, breathe yeah. freely, breathe mm-hmm. and and invite. Um, I can't. I'm like. I like how I'm like already t- like going to tell our guests what we want. I'm like and invite them to like not judge our shit. <laughs> like yeah. I think a guest can do whatever they want, but hopefully. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's the magic of editing. If they took judges, yeah, they, yeah, the yeah, audience yeah. won't know it. Like, I don't know what happened to their response to that question. It must have <laughs> been a glitch. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I think I but... can summarize what they say. They say, yeah, yeah. absolute brilliance, Shandine, for real. You know, Delma, get in there. Get in there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, so that's you used an imaginary guest to throw shade at me. I just want to name that. Wasn't that the layers hard. are fucked up that that was, well, but it's, it's not fine. that hard. You just <laughs> laid it all out. Yeah. All, all right. right. Cool. All right. Um, bring us home. Bring us home. 
bring us home. So yeah, I want to invite our guests to to continue to join us on this journey. Um, I anticipate that with this being our inaugural episode, with us both being first time podcasters, it might be a little while between episodes, at least initially. Um, but we're going to keep working at it. And maybe we front load this thing. I don't know. Um, this might be the sausage y'all don't get to hear later. Um, but yeah, I know we want to bring in some politicians and some artists and some philosophers and some activists and a whole bevy of folks, uh, scholars, you know, who can really add some perspective and some lens to this. Um, the goal is to get there with more people for me. The goal is to like dream into something bigger than what we currently have, um, but still rooted in what we know to be true. Right. That's that's the goal. I want my Wakanda of sorts. I want my renewable energies. Um, I want my technologies. I want my creature comforts. Um, but I also want something rooted in values. I want something that is as widely available in terms of potential. Right. So no matter what you look like, no matter how you move through the world, no matter how your mind works, how your body works, there's a place for you to help us dream collectively and to contribute yes. to what that looks like. Um, yeah. Anything else before we close up this inaugural episode? I want that. I want that one thing where you hear the phrase or you feel the depth of the idea or the laughter as you're listening, however you are, wherever you are, when you listen to podcasts, whether you're walking your dog or doing the dishes where you, it makes you pause and you say, huh, or I don't agree or Really? Tell me more. I want mm -hmm. that. I want that. I want whatever energy it creates. And I want our speakers to push us to dream in ways we never thought possible. I'm, I'm from a community where we, we dream our reality into being. That's what, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and what does it mean to be in right relationship with the speakers for that dreaming to just be transcendent and authentic mm -hmm. and real. Mm -hmm. It's that balance of the, when, um, I don't mean to dream up a, a utopia of bullshit, mm -hmm. but dream with depth in that authentic space. I'm in for that. Boom. I am looking forward to it. I'm so thankful that your son pushed you to sign on for this. You're thankful um, right now. For now. Dive In Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. 